Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is episode 23 of R6 MMA Talk to Fight After the Fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. And we have so much MMA to cover. We have one championship on Prime Video 2. Horrible fucking name, but that's what they call it. Bellator 260-something, 268, two, oh man, uh, when it comes to the numbers of Bellator, I get a little confused, I think it's 268, I could be wrong, don't, don't quote me on that one, I believe it's 268, I'm gonna put my chips in on 268, and then we have, of course, the UFC event, um, uh, Jan versus Mackenzie Dern, and here's the thing, it's actually one of those funny instances where the best fights that happened this week we're not the UFC. The one championship card and the Bellator card actually really, really good. Um, and I think the UFC card was the, the worst card of the weekend. But unfortunately, we have no fights next week, so I won't be doing any uh, Petri predictions for any of the upcoming fights because there is none for next week. But we have so much to cover, guys. And first, I'm going to jump into one championship. Honestly, no, I'm not going to say it was the best event of the of the past weekend. I would say the Bellator one, probably. Yeah, when you look at all in all, you know, what happened to the Bellator card and who was fighting and that kind of stuff, I think the Bellator card tops, tops in the number one. I would say probably 1FC at number two. Then we'll have um, UFC at number three. But I think the best fight of the weekend belongs to 1FC, which I'm going to be getting into right now. So I'm um, first to be going over Stan Fairtax against Rod Zuin. So I'm not going to be going over the grappling match that happened for uh, for one championship or the Muay Thai fight that happened for one championship just because audience-wise, most of the, the fa- you guys, the fans, the listeners, don't necessarily care for that or want to hear of that. But not only that, I'm really not an expert in those fields. Yeah, I do know you know a lot about grappling. I do know some about Muay Thai, but I'm not really, you know, uh, my expertise isn't there. My skill set isn't there. So I can't really talk that much about those two particular sports. But I did watch them, and I was thoroughly entertained by it, and I liked the mix-up. Like, I like throwing in a Muay Thai fight here or there. Or the grappling match is pretty cool. So I, I'm actually a huge fan of what won provides to us i don't know how big is going to be in the american market just because how different it is but regardless of the fact i am a fan of one championship it ha- it brings in something completely different from the other mma promotions that we already used to like the ufc so stamp fairtex against rod Zuin. so stamp fairtex right really really weird name she's such a character such a character like she's always dancing before you know her walkout going to the to, to their cage and you know she's just like a very vibrant, energetic type of person. But, dude, do not be mistaken. She is fucking formidable. She is actually the one... She was the one championship Muay Thai, the one championship kickboxing champion. She decided to leave both sports to pursue MMA. And in pursuit of MMA, she won the uh, the tournament for the Atomweight Championship. 
She fought Angela Lee. She gave Angela Lee a run for her money. She rocked her really bad for liver shot, almost put it away. Angela was able to take the W in that fight, but I have a very, very, very real feeling that they're going to fight again fairly soon. Um, but Stan, Stan Farisax was fighting Rudzuin. Rudzuin is, is, I believe she's, she's not, she tie. She might be tie. Might be. I believe she's tie. Um, but she has a wrestling based background, a freestyle wrestling based background. So she offered a unique skill set, unique style of fight and matchup to Stan Farisax, who is primarily, as we know, a striker. So on the feet, it went just as we thought it would, you know, matching a wrestler against a, a very formidable striker. On the feet, uh, Rod Zewing didn't really have anything for Stan Fairtax. I believe she got rocked in the first and got rocked later on in the third round. But what really, really shocked me in this fight was how good was Stamp's takedown defense, scrambling, and even her, her takedown offense, man. So her takedown defense was very, very, very good. Even the times that Rudge was able to take her to the ground, Stamp was able to get right back up. But not only that, dude, she is pretty formidable. Um, her grappling is pretty formidable. When she had mouse, she was laying some some pretty decent ground to pound. Granted, she almost got caught in the armbar um, towards the very end of the third. But she did try to, she did attempt the knee bar right after she got out of the armbar. Which she hyperextended that knee pretty good. Um, if if Ritson wasn't so flexible, it probably would have been a huge issue for a lot of people. So it, even though she has such an extensive Muay Thai and kickboxing overall striking background, her ground game is still very good. Honestly, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be, given her her she hasn't been in MMA. For that long so nothing but respect for her she definitely should get the title shot fighting angela lee um and for the animal belt that's if zhang doesn't go down after defending that strawway fight the strawway belt to fight angela lee and try to take her belt again but then i'm just going to get into the main event for one championship which is angela lee against zhang and dude this fight was incredible this fight was so good um i'm not sure if any of you watched the first two fights beforehand i personally i I think you should watch all three. If you watched the third one, you didn't watch the other two, go back and watch the other two because they're thoroughly entertaining. This fight that just happened was definitely the best fight of the entire weekend. Angela Lee against Young 3 was easily the best fight of the entire weekend. That shit was unbelievably entertaining. So back and forth for the entire fight. And basically, the other two fights were the exact same way. Um, Angela Lee went up in weight to challenge for Xiong's title. Angela Lee unfortunately lost. Xiong went down and wait to challenge for Angela's title. Xiong lost. This is the first time Angela lost in her career. First time Xiong lost in her career. Angela went back up and wait to go fight for Xiong's title again. Unfortunately, it didn't go Angela's way. But dude, this fight was so evenly matched. For the exception of the first round. The first round, 100% goes to Xiong. It, it, they don't judge you know, rounds by how we judge rounds in America. They do it from the entire, you know, um, the entire, I'm blanking out on the word here, the entire duration of the fight. So they judge it on the entire duration of the fight, not just round by round. But if you judged it round by round, that first round was easily a 10-8 round for Xiong because she was putting it on Angela Lee. Angela Lee in that first round was really coming forward, utilizing the pressure, but she was getting tagged every time she would come forward. Every time she came forward, she was getting hit with big shots. She got rocked twice. 
Um, she, she was getting ground and pound. It, it wasn't looking good for her. In the second round, she completely turned the fight around. She was able to get Zhang to the ground. Zhang is known for her takedown defense. She has the most stuffed takedown most stuffed takedowns in one championship history. So her takedown defense is very formidable. But as we know with Angela Lee's style fighting, mostly grappling heavy, she is very good in that regard. She was able to take Zhang down. In the first round, she was struggling in, in that area. But in the second round, she was able to, to take her down and keep her down for a duration of the round. So that was easily... Angela Lee's round. The third round was a little bit up in the air. It mostly, it was, it was really funny because the first two rounds, Angela Lee was really focusing on taking her opponent to the ground, um, try to gain top position, just maintain control. That wasn't the case in the later round. She did try to initiate the takedown, but ended up just in the clinch and just utilizing knees. Um, and every time they breaked off the clinch, she would throw an elbow or a right hook. So she didn't really utilize or even try to utilize takedowns for three, four, and five, and that might have cost her to fight. But in the third round, it was primarily striking, going back and forth. Um, Angela Lee was starting to really, you know, get into her groove. Her head movement was a lot, was was more, um, was more present. She was um, going in and out more. Was hers was more fluid. She wasn't, you know, where head, where chin up high, just marching towards Young like it, how it was in the first round. So her striking was a lot better in the third round. I think overall, Shung had the better work in that third round. In the fourth round, I think Angela Lee did a better work in that round. Um, again, util- closing the distance, applying that pressure. She was utilizing left kicks to the body, left uh, left leg kicks, left, left high kicks to the head. She was using that beautifully. Um, she did do a few front kicks to the body and front kicks to the head, us- utilizing her right leg. She did... Again, like I said beforehand, got into the clinch, initiated the clinch, was landing some very good knees, landed some very good elbows too. So I think she did the better work in that fourth round. Now in the fifth round, in the fifth round, um, Angeli was able to get Shang to the ground. But afterwards, I think Shang just had um, for a minute or so. But afterwards, when they were on the feet, I think Shang did overall the better work. I did do. I did think Xiong was the overall rightful winner of the fight. It was very, very close. I can watch them fight all day. I'm hoping that Xiong goes down in weight to fight for uh, Angela Lee's belt, try to get that second title, and we see him fight for a fourth time. But dude, the one championship event was actually really good. I was thoroughly entertained. Thoroughly, thoroughly entertained. And now we have the Bellator fight. So first, I want to go over Pico against Kennedy. And this was just such an unfortunate ending to the fight. We really didn't get to see, because come, before I even get into the fight, coming into this fight, Aaron Pico, they, he was someone that, you know, he had a boxing background, he had a wrestling background, he was going into MMA, the Bellator signed him, he was like 17 years old. You know, he was like the hottest prospect in MMA ever. He was like LeBron coming into the NBA. Like that's how much hype was around him. And the Bellator, Scott Coker kind of fucked up and just throwing him to the Wolves. Like they gave him extremely, extremely, extremely tough challenges right from the go. And of course, you know, being someone who's so young, he didn't live up to that expectation because he threw him to the Wolves. And in doing that, you can kind of fuck up a guy's career. Now, he was on the losing streak. He did take some time off. He went to reevaluate, you know, his camp, his career, him himself as a person. And he came back better than ever. And he got a six-fight win streak. 
granted, Scott Coker and Belcher did a very good job, you know, leading him up, giving him the the right level of competition throughout his development up until this point. Now, Kennedy was supposed to be his biggest challenge up until Borich, who he, he lost to. That was his last loss, Aaron Pico. And I think it would have been if Pico would have won this fight against Kennedy, he would have fought Borich, and then Pico would have probably fought for the title. He would have beat Kennedy and Borich. Or you, you could have got Pico a title shot right after the Kennedy win because he was already ranked number three. So, you know, it, it was a lot of hype building up for Pico again. You know, the interest in Pico was there again. And you know, he come out the gate, he, he stunned Kennedy with a right hand. He came out, you know, guns blazing. Uh, Kennedy did an issue. After he stunned Kennedy, he went to the clinch. Kennedy was able to reverse position, was able to, you know, um, get uh, Pico to the ground briefly. And there was the injury. So at that point, you don't necessarily see it on camera when you're watching it. But Aaron Pico, you don't see the injury, you don't see anything pop out. But Aaron Pico, he's he's signaling to his corner that something's wrong with his shoulder. Like something's wrong with that area, that left shoulder. Something's wrong with it. So he actually at one point tries to pop it back into place. And at that and at, at that moment, the you know, the Bellator team broadcast all saw it, they're all commenting on it. I saw it, I'm commenting on it. So we're all thinking, you know, his shoulder may have popped out of place, which if his shoulder popped out of place, you just pop it back in and you're good to go for the most part. Um, it's one of those things where it's like if you jam a certain finger, it's more easier for you to get jammed. But the more frequent it is to get jammed, the easier it is to recover or the quicker it is to recover. So he was just toughing it out. He was toughing it out in that first round. He got uh, Kennedy got the takedown. Kennedy got his back. And Pico was just invisible pain, man. He was just toughing it out, making sure that he didn't get submitted in that round. So nothing but respect for him. In the corner after that first round, you know, his corner is trying to pop the shoulder back into place. Doesn't necessarily work. When we look at Pico, you know, when he's when the fight's about to start again, his shoulder looks weird, man. His left side of his body just looks weird. It looks off. It looks like it's bulging. The referee did, I, the, people are shitting on the referee. The referee, I think, did a very good job calling the doctor again. Because visually, when you're looking at Pico, you're looking at his left side, it does not look good. It's either the, the, the shoulder is still out of place or there's another issue there. So, you know, I think he did a, a very, he did a good job calling in the, the doctor again for that reason. The doctor took a look at it. He said it might not be out of place. He might have broken his cervical. So they waved out the fight, rightfully so. His show, the left side of his body was looking fucked up. And I think, you know, it, it sucks that it happened in that way. And there's a TKO loss for Pico when he was coming off a six-fight winning streak. But they should definitely 100% run it back when Pico is healthy and is available to do so. And now we have AJ against Spike Carlisle. And this fight, everyone, here's the, when it comes to the, the, the Bellator co-main and the Bellator main, everyone expected AJ to win, everyone expected Pitbull to win. Exactly what happened. So there really wasn't that, you know, much of high hopes for Spike Carlisle in that, in that regard. No one was really expecting him to win, everyone counted him out. But he did hang on there, man. Crowd to the credit to him. You know, he did, no one's able to was, have been able to finish by Carl up until this point, and he hung on. And in that first round, he came in guns blazing. He, he came out like a banshee on crack, man. He he came out, you know, 
just trying to put it on AJ right away. And at that point, AJ was cracking him. And But Spike did a very good job utilizing his wrestling in that first round. For almost the entirety of that round, up until like the four-minute mark, he was dominating AJ on the ground. He was holding him there. He wasn't really doing much ground-and-pound damage or anything like that, but he was able to effectively keep him on the ground. Um, it wasn't up until the last minute that AJ was able to reverse the position. Towards the end of that round, you can see that Spark Carlisle was, was breathing very heavily, um, and AJ was, was you know breathing perfectly fine. But I, just, I think that AJ... He what he did good and what he did bad was during the striking stages he's uh, leagues above Spike Carlisle in striking. That one is obviously very clear. He's far better at striking than Spike Carlisle, but he was really letting himself get lost in these crazy, you know, wild exchanges. Yeah, he was getting the better of them at the end of the day, but he should have just took his time, you know, dictated the pace. Pick his shots. There was time when he rock spiked and went into a takedown and went into grappling, which made no sense. You know, you're the, you're a better striker out of two. You're clearly beating him on the feet every single time you guys are exchanging. So might as well keep it there. Why would we go to the ground? But eventually, you know, AJ was able to get him to the ground and really dictate Spike Carlisle on the ground for the remainder of the fight. It was a clear decision victory for. AJ McKee, I think it was 30-26 across the board or something like that. So one of them was a 10-8 round. The rest, AJ just simply won. So, you know, he, he did look pretty good on his move up to 155. Or all, all of us are worried, you know, how is the England performer 155? But he needed this win. At the end of the day, I think Scott Coker, I was kind of shitting on this matchup. Because I think, you know, the rematch is so fresh. The, the trilogy is so fresh. We should run it back as soon as possible. But the thing was, you know, um, AJ McGee, he he admitted that you know, that loss, he took it badly. He was partying because during that time, he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't partying, he wasn't doing anything, women, nothing. He was just like focused on MMA. He wanted to be the uh, the Floyd Mayweather of MMA and, and, uh, and retired undefeated. And when that didn't happen for him, he, he, he didn't take it lightly. So he was very distracted and doing other things. And if they would have ran back the trilogy while AJ McGee was in that mindset, he would have lost 100% to Pitbull. He would have lost, definitively lost. It wouldn't have been as close the second time. So it was good that I think um, that uh, that Scott Coker gave him an easier matchup, let him gain his confidence back, and did the same thing for Pitbull. And they're definitely going to be running it back, um, I hope, very, very soon. Then we have Pitbull against Boric. And the issue, the clear... The clear issue with Boric is he does too much explosive high-flying shit, man. Way too much explosive high-flying shit. Like in that first round, he tried to do a jumping flying knee. And it gave me very, you know, reminiscent vibes to when Orlovsky tried to do that to Fedor. Literally. Because the same thing happens. Um, Boric went in for a flying knee. Uh, Pitbull tagged him with the left hand, nearly tagged him with the right hand If he, when he was coming down. If he would have tagged him with the right hand when he was coming down, Borg would have got knocked the fuck out. He got rocked, hurt pretty bad, you know, going in for that flying knee and getting hit. But why would you try to throw that flying knee against your opponent? First off, you were, you were a pretty big distance away to be throwing flying knees. It wasn't like he was up close. 
yeah, there is a disparity in height between the two, a very large one at that, but when you have someone who's that experienced and is still fresh in the fight like that, and you're in the middle of the octagon, it's not even like he's against the cage, doing flying shit, man, it's just not the best, it's not good fight IQ. So, but at the end of the day, this is what happened in the fight. Borick should have utilized his jab, his leg kicks more. He was by far the bigger opponent. They looked like two guys fighting at two different weight classes. Bork was fucking huge compared to Patricio Pitbull. He had the reach. He had the height. He should have utilized it. He didn't effectively utilize it. He should have just remained on the back foot, utilized that jab, utilized front kicks to the body and leg kicks to keep Pitbull at bay, and fight that kind of fight. You know, utilize your reach. And he didn't do that at all. He didn't do that at all. And Pitbull just showed us that he's a crafty veteran. That's all he did. He beat Spike on the feet, beat Spike in grappling, and he just was the better fighter in every every facet that we already knew. So I'm I'm hoping that this uh this this fight gets I mean not this fight the, the AJ McGee and Pitbull fight gets run back fast. And last but not least, we have Mackenzie Dern against Yon. And this fight played out like I said it would play out for you guys. I'm going to be honest. I said that last week. If Mackenzie Dern cannot get the submission from two rounds, she was going to lose that fight. And that's exactly what happened. In the first round, she did have some success grappling. She did have some success grappling in the second round, too, towards the end. But after that, it, it, she wasn't able to, to get the takedown. She wasn't able to effectively get that takedown. She was towards the very end of the fifth. But at that point, you know, Mackenzie wasn't able to get takedown. Jan's takedown defense was surprisingly fairly good. Um, her submission defense was surprisingly very good as well. I was very shocked at that. But striking-wise, where most of the fight played out, dude, Jan just completely blew Mackenzie out of the water. Like, Mackenzie didn't, have, didn't have anything for Jan in the striking department whatsoever. You know, in every single striking exchange, Jan got the better of her and did more damage. So Jan was 100% the rifle winner in this fight. Um, and I know Mackenzie gave an emotional response afterwards, saying sorry to everyone who, uh, who she let down with the loss. And, you know, she's shocked that she's not getting finishes like that anymore. Because Mackenzie has, has now three losses in her, in her UFC or MMA career in general. And up until this point, you know, before she was fighting the upper echelons of the division, she was getting, you know, submission victories left and right. Which, when you start the fight, the, the, you know, the, the cream bill of cream of division is not that your jiu-jitsu got worse or it is not as good because you started to focus on your striking more. It's just, dude, the, the level of competition is just different. The level of competition is just that much greater. And she's really struggling with it. Do I think she'll ever be UFC champion? Probably not, man. Then again, listen, you can't count anyone out. Look at Charles Oliveira. Look at Michael Bispin. Look at, you know, so many other fighters. But it's clear that, you know, she just is not at that, that level of the top five of the division, the top three of the division. So I don't know when she'll ever be, you know. She, she's, a, she's not the youngest fighter on the roster, per se. So uh, what's next for her coming up for these fights? I'm not exactly sure. Yan, she, she was able to end a two-fight losing streak, which is good. What's next for Yan? I say, I say you can run back to the Marina Rodriguez fight, but better yet, dude, let's have Yan fight someone like Rose. You know, Rose is coming off a loss against um, Carlos Sparza. Dana White is definitely 100% not 
going to run that fight back because that fight was terrible. So why not have Jan against Rose? It could be a very, 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 very entertaining fight. And now we have the MMA news slash drama portion of the podcast. And I talked about last week that USADA, they, uh, they haven't tested McGregor an entire year. Which people have asked USADA, why haven't you tested McGregor in a, in, a, in a year? And basically they said the reason that someone wouldn't be tested is either one, they were tired and out of the USADA testing pool. Or two, they got an exemption to not be tested. But the thing is, what's the exemption to not be tested? You, they didn't explain the exemptions not be tested. What are the criteria to not to, to not be tested? They didn't explain any of that. They just said, if someone gets an exemption, it's not be tested. Okay, what's the exemption? Like, is it is is it just an exemption from the UFC? Is it just an exemption for you guys? Is it an exemption from? A state commission, like what's the exemption? You have to be 100% clear in these things. So what I'm guessing is that, and this is all speculation. There's no definitive proof in anything that I'm saying. I'm just speculating. In my personal opinion, what I think that might have occurred, and again, I have no proof. I'm just speculation. Is that because steroids actually help in fractures or fucking bone breakages like this like Anderson Silva popped when right after he broke his his uh his leg against Chris Weidman because it helped him with the healing process so I'm guessing and McGregor's been looking extra juicy lately he's been looking like he's on a juice so I'm guessing they gave him an exemption because his leg broke but here's the thing and again speculation not 100% I'm just giving my opinion um but here's the thing Chris Weidman is still getting tested. He's still in USADA testing pool. He's been tested twice since the leg break. So since the leg break, Chris Weidman was his same exact leg break as Anderson Silva and Conor McGregor. So you can't really justify that to me because Chris Weidman is, is what's it called? He may got tested twice since the leg break. So there's a disparity there. It's clearly unfair. So here's my thing, right? I'm not... When it comes to, you know, steroid use or PEDs uses MMA, I'm my mindset is you either all in or you're or none at all. So you either is every if everyone's using PEDs, if everyone's juiced to the tits, then I'm fine. Because everyone's juiced up. So that I'm all about a even playing field, a level playing field. So if everyone's juicy, everyone's allowed to juice. If literally if it was like pride and it says that we do not test and everyone's juicy, then I'm fine with, you know, steroid use because everyone's using it. So everyone's on an even playing field. But when it's completely banned and people are using, then I have an issue with it because you're cheating at that point, which no one else is using, you're using, so you're cheating, getting an unfair advantage over your opponents. So at that point, I'm against it because... I want a level playing field. So that's my that's my mindset on PD usage. I'm not, oh, PD usage is 100% bad. I'm not, oh, PD usage is 100% good. I just want a level playing field. That's all. Everyone's using, everyone's using. If no one's using, no one's using, period. You know, that all in, you know, kind of mentality. So that that's just my mindset on it. But there's no, you, you can't just say that 
you know, he's exempt from the program or just exempt, you know, there is a, a possible way to be exempt and not explain how. And that's the issues with USADA. And when you really look back into the USADA testing program, all throughout until the boxing days, because that's where it really came from, they're a joke. They're literally a joke. They only pop someone once in the entirety of that program that was being used in boxing. And on top of that, he popped and was allowed to fight. <laughs> Which is fucking ridiculous. He popped and was allowed to fight. So it's like, really guys? You know? And when you look at their track history in MMA, with the, you know, the John Jones picogram bullshit and you know, moving an entire card from one state to another to avoid the athletic commission. And then now the USADA doesn't have to reveal that people were po- the people tested positive for PEDs. So someone could literally say they retired for two years or three years. Because when you get popped for a, uh, for a PED, you get suspension for two years. So be very wary. I'm not pointing any names. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying be wary of fighters who fight then all of a sudden say they retired or just disappear for two entire years come back and act like nothing happened so be be very very cautious when you see that so we might start seeing a more of that to be honest with you if it's exactly within a two-year time frame maybe because they popped i'm not pointing fingers not saying anyone did i'm just saying you know keep your eyes open but yeah, they don't have to review if anyone pops anymore, which is fucking retarded. So, yeah, it's just, you saw the program as an overall joke. And the reason why it's an overall joke is because it's bought into the UFC. So it's not like if it's a state-run governing faction or, you know, the, the testing is mandatory by athletic commissions. It's just the UFC brought it into, Dana White brought it into the UFC because they wanted to sell the uh, UFC during a time where the Fertitta Brothers owned it. And to make the sport more cleaner and more, you know, fan-friendly and people want to buy, they brought in the USADA testing program. And since the USADA testing program is entirely funded by the UFC, obviously there's a conflict of interest there. So they can bend over backwards to Dana's wishes if need be. Which another example is a Brock Lesnar, the whole Brock Lesnar incident when he came back after, um, the the you know his his layoff in UFC 200, he popped before the fight and he popped after the fight, and he still was allowed to fight, which is fucking ridiculous, and Mark Hunt was up in arms for that you know situation. That's the reason why part of the reason why we have the whole uh, class action lawsuit against the UFC. There's one of the reasons there, um, so. Again, guys, be very, very wary about USADA. USADA is very sus, and we need an explanation as to why he, why there's an exemptage, and if Connor is exempt. And then we have Mark Zuckerberg rents out the entire Apex for, he said it was a thing, an event for Meta and the UFC and all that other bullshit. And here's the thing, guys. I think that... <sighs> Bro, tech oligarchs are weird, man. They are weird. All of them are weird. I don't like any of them. Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, um, Elon Musk. I think they all fucking suck. I think they all suck. Um, And, you know, one championship is in partnership with Jeff Bezos and Amazon Prime. So I'm guessing the reason why Mark Zuckerberg is there 
he's a fan of MMA. He probably wants to do some kind of promotional deal with the UFC because one tech oligarch did it. So the other one wants to do the same thing. It's like when, you know, when when Elon wanted to go to space, Bezos now wanted to go to space. So it's probably the same shit. And here's the thing, right? The issue that I have with Mark running out the, the MMA Apex is because the fighters' families weren't able to attend. None of the fighters' families were able to attend. It was just Mark Zuckerberg. It wasn't even a lot of people from. I understand if it was like a company event and a lot of people were there from Meta. Still fucked up, but I guess it's a company event and he rented it out. So well, I guess you know. Um, that's a one-time occurrence, I guess. But it was just Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, <laughs> Dana White, man. That was all it was. And it was so funny because Dana White was saying, oh, he didn't rent it out. He didn't rent it out. And then it turns out he rented it out. So Dana was just blatantly fucking lying to us, as he always does to the media. And not only was the fans not allowed to go, there was no fans, there was no family, and there was no media. Why even kick out the media? And people were like, oh, you know. And here's the thing on Twitter. People were defending him on Twitter like, oh, you know. Because he's famous, maybe security reasons. First off, is Mark Zuckerberg. I guarantee, Dana, I guarantee the Apex has security. Apex has more enough security. If they had a high-profile guy like Mark Zuckerberg, they probably would have added more security. Or Mark Zuckerberg would have had his own security. And on top of that, you could have just limited it to fighters' families. So it's literally, you know, Mark Zuckerberg just wanted to... You watch the MMA fights alone, which is the most weirdest tech oligarchy thing to do. You know, he didn't want to rub shoulders with peasants. So I, that's the issue that I have with it. Then Eddie Alvarez leaves one championship and is looking for a trilogy with Chandler. And I, I did the move for one championship for Eddie. Just it didn't work out. That's all it was. It just didn't work out. If you ask one championship, they probably say the same thing. It just didn't work out in their favor. You know, Eddie was taking losses back-to-back in one championship. And I don't think he was driving the same um, viewership that one championship would have thought that Eddie would have um, from the American audience over into one. So it just didn't, it just wasn't a good fit and it didn't work out. Now, Eddie is pretty up there in age. I wouldn't mind them signing Eddie for like a three-fight, four-fight deal in the UFC just so we could see the Chandler trilogy. I think Chandler stops him. And see Eddie, you know, have a couple other fights or whatever. But can Eddie compete against the top guys in the UFC? No. Eddie was losing to guys he really shouldn't have been losing to in one championship. So you think he's going to be, you know, you know, putting performances on against the top guys in the UFC? Not a chance. You know, Eddie's been around for a very long time. It's took damage for a very long time. A lot of damage. Um, he was a face of Bellator for years. So... He had a very illustrious career. You know, his career is nothing to be sad about. He was former UFC champion, former Belter champion. He wanted, he was trying to be the former, he, I mean, he was trying to be the one championship champion, and that didn't turn out, but his career is nothing to be sad about. So I don't mind if they sign a three fight deal with the UFC, but you could do McGregor Alvarez 2, that would sell, and McGregor Ch- and uh, Chandler Alvarez 3, that would sell. But other than that, do I want to see him continue fighting? Man, probably not. Then in Bellator, 286. I said 268, but it was actually 286. So I was a little wrong there, but I got the numbers within the percentage. You know, I got the numbers right. It was just mixed up in a different order. 
Come with some slack, guys. <laughs> but in Bellator 286, Palencia broke his leg after a check leg kick in the prelims. And it's it's this is going to be happening a lot more. I know, I know why people are, there's probably a lot of people are asking, you know, why is this happening so frequently now? Like literally in the last two, three years, we've seen this three times, three or four times. Like why is this happening so frequently? And it's probably because the rise of leg kicks. No one was really throwing that many leg kicks four, five, six years ago. Only a select few guys. And with it being such a normal occurrence in current MMA and such a big part of everyone's striking game plan, you're going to start to see a lot of these. And the reason why you don't see a lot of this in Muay Thai or kickboxing is because they condition their shins. So how these breaks are happening is because the people are checking the kicks. So in checking the kick, they kick a bad area. It's supposed to hurt them, but at times it causes a breakage. And what a lot of the Muay Thai guys and a lot of kickboxer guys do is that they condition their shins. They would make, you know, big cal not calluses, they would calcify the shin bone. So they would just like rub, you know, a bottle against their shins like to fucking destroy all the nerve endings. So when they do throw a leg kick and someone checks it, it doesn't hurt them anymore. So they do that to destroy all the nerve endings. And on top of that, they would kick metal poles and very, very hard substances to condition their shins to calcify it to make it stronger so a lot of muay thai a lot of kickboxing guys do that that's the reason why they can fucking kick full force they can go shin on shin and just be perfectly fine so i, I would suggest that a lot of mma guys start doing that as well if the leg kick is going to be so prominent in mma now to avoid these kind of breakages now, Antonio Noki dies at 79. Some of you may know Antonio Noki. He was a famous wrestling, um, a famous Japanese wrestling champion. He did the famous crossover fight Muhammad Ali in the 70s, which there was no winner, there was no loser. A lot of people say he's one of the driving forces behind MMA. I don't know about that, but it definitely contributed to the the creation of MMA. That's, that's something that's 100% for, for certain, for sure. So he is a big pivotal part in the creation of modern day MMA. So, you know, thank you to him for having that bout with Muhammad Ali. And it really, you know, put the, the gears in motion to create the sport that we love now in MMA. So it's a sad loss, but we thank him for his, uh, his tribute to the sport. Then we have Scott will re-sign Cyborg saying he'll be in a Cyborg business for many years to come. And the thing is, you know, Cyborg wants to pursue boxing. She, I think she did her exhibition fairly recently. So I'm guessing that's going to be a stipulation in her contract in order to do boxing. But the thing is for Cyborg, what's really left for her in in, uh, in Bellator? There's really not nothing left. I mean, she can go to the PFL. They can do a crossover bout, I guess. And she can fight their champion, uh, uh, Kayla Harrison. They collab a lot with Ryzen. I don't know if Ryzen has a 145 Bantamweight champion. I mean, 145 uh, fucking featherweight champion for women's. I don't think they do. I could be mistaken. Maybe Cyborg could fight that woman if there is a champion in that division for that weight class. Um, what Really, what everyone wants to see is Cyborg against Amanda. That's the one fight that everyone wanted to see. That would probably be the biggest fight in, in women's MMA history. Cyborg was the GOAT prior to Amanda. Amanda's the GOAT now. Some will argue that Cyborg is still the GOAT. 
which, you know, when you really look at what Slag was able to accomplish and only losing once in, you know, fucking 20 years, it's, it's you know, it, I, I, I can't really blame anyone who thinks Cyborg is still the GOAT women's MMA, but there's really not much for Cyborg anymore, man. I guess she could, you know, fight a couple more fights and then retire into the sunset, but I, w- I would think she should retire soon. I mean, she hasn't taken any damage for, for most of her career. That's one thing that's definitely for certain. Um, the most damage she took in her career was against Cyborg. I mean, was against uh, Amanda Nunes. She did do a kickboxing match years ago, which she got pretty fucked up in. But besides that, she really hasn't taken any damage. So, uh, you know, she can continue fighting for a, a few more years. Because, um, you know, she's so fresh and she hasn't really taken any long-term damage in that way. But there's really not much left for her. And I wonder what how the, the how the Bellator is going to keep her entertained. Now, we're not going to be going over any future predictions like I talked about earlier in the podcast. What we will be going about is my hot take for the week, which is, is Mark Zuckerberg good for MMA? We all know that he trains MMA and he's a fan of MMA, but is he good for MMA? And I think he isn't good for MMA. And the reason why he isn't good for MMA is because he's just not a good person. When you look at all, you know, this the the discontent he has, you know, created in American culture, and all the the issues with his Facebook platform and how it, you know it's constantly having people argue against each other and breeding that rivalry type of culture, the misinformation, a bunch of other shit, um, that he's done with the Facebook platform. He's just not the best of people. And on top of that, how he created Facebook and how it came about and how he basically blatantly stole it from someone else, at least the idea from someone else, and he constantly rips off ideas from other companies, like Snapchat being one of them, the whole story thing, he ripped off from Snapchat, and he did that with a couple other companies as well. He uh, He's just not the best person in the world, to be honest with you. He's really not. So do we really want that in MMA? I mean, some people are saying that he's cool because... He trains MMA, but like, you know, if fucking a a dictator from another country was training MMA, would we think he's cool? You know, that's a little, a little bit of a stretch to compare him to a dictator, but I'm just trying to, you know, make a comparison there. Just because someone likes MMA doesn't mean they're good for the sport. Doesn't mean we should parade him around the sport. Like, I don't think we should be parading him around the sport. Like, you know, the ESPN and... And every every and UFC on Twitter was like parading him around, saying he's one of us and all the other shit. But dude, the regular person doesn't rent out an entire MMA event and not let the fighters' families be there. That's not something that a regular person does. So I don't think he's good for MMA. I do think he's probably going to sponsor, be a sponsor for MMA. Which if he does, is hope that he pays the fighters. Because here's the thing: if Meta becomes a sponsor for the UFC. But Meta doesn't pay the fighters, and you know you literally train MMA. You say you love MMA, you're a huge fan, and then you go around and fuck off the you fuck the fighters. The same thing with that the Rock did was stupid fucking shoe deal. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. To be honest with you guys, so I don't think he's good for MMA. I just don't. I just don't. And I don't think we should be parading him around in MMA just because he likes the sport, and just because someone who is popular. Or someone who is well-known or famous or rich, likes the sport, doesn't mean that we should be parading them around. 
But that's episode 23 of Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. You can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, and basically where every other big media podcasting platforms are there. And of course, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Noah underscore A underscore Petrie. And on Twitter, Noah Petrie R6. And I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Have a good week, guys. Bye.